Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. Good morning. All right. Thank you. Welcome to Vessel Collective Church. If I don't know you or have the chance to know you, my name is Jake Toman. And I have the joy of serving as a pastor here of uh, our wonderful church. And so thank you for being here with us this morning. If you haven't been recently or you're new, we are in uh, kind of the middle and towards the end of a series that we've been in called, uh, simply called Witness. And we've been talking week after week about what it means to truly be a witness. And so we started with, with a little bit the end in mind and kind of our key verse is Acts 1.8. Uh, where Jesus commands his disciples to be his witnesses to Samaria and all of Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so um, Joe, one of our elders, is going to be teaching this morning. And I've talked in the past about this has been a collaborative teaching effort. So rather than just one voice and one person speaking, uh, we've created a teaching team and tried to really pray through and look at what that looks like together. So the first week um, I taught on kind of this idea of what it means to be a witness. What's the word in Scripture truly means? It, it comes at over 200 times in Scripture. The first time is in Genesis. The last time is in Revelation. And we looked at kind of how this idea and this theme and this call to be a witness to the Lord is persistent throughout Scripture, front to back. And, and our first, uh, you know, read taught after that, and he looked at the Old Testament and Moses and the Torah and how God called his people to be his witness. Witnesses and how man, as we do in our brokenness, uh, continue to fail again and again to truly serve as that witness for who the Lord is. And then um, after that, uh, Shay and I last week talked about Jesus as this chief witness. And in uh, John chapter 8, whenever they, uh, Jesus has this confrontation with the Pharisees, this moment to where um, Jesus claims to be the witness and God is his second witness. And so we talked about that. And then Joe this morning is going to teach on now after, after Jesus' death, crucifixion, and resurrection, how that was passed down to the disciples. And then next week, we're going to look at us, ourselves, how that's been passed from the disciples down to us. And so one of the things that we are going to be doing over the course of the last few weeks of this series, and we, we started last week, is we've asked different people in our church and within the body, within uh, the body of our church, to bear witness to Jesus. And I've just prayed through and kind of asked some different people about what that means for them. If you weren't here last week, Stephen Godfrey shared uh, he's a mail carrier and how God has given him opportunities to really just bear witness and to love people where they are in his route. And so this morning, uh, I asked a dear friend of mine and sister Marie Aguilar to share. So if you guys would welcome Marie and Marie, come on up. And so um, I think there's the old running joke that the greatest fear for people is public speaking. That is like the number one fear. And the joke is that they're, it's, it's, people are more afraid to do public speaking than they are to die. And so that at a funeral, people would rather be in the cas- casket than doing the eulogy. And so I've been praying for you like crazy this week, Marie, because I know uh, she's really nervous. So I have asked her uh, to just share a little bit about what God's put on her heart. So uh, Marie, I stand here as your brother and partner in this. So thank you for being here this morning for sharing. And I want to say thank you because 
this is really my greatest fear is speaking in front of people. Like, I can sing, like lyrics are written for me, that's fine, whatever, but actually coming up here and speaking about my life and sharing about myself is just, that's insane to me. I don't know how you do this every day. Like I'm dying right now. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> but because I love the Lord. Just picture everyone naked. That's right. You learned that as a kid? Yeah. So um, for those of you who don't know me, I had a very radical encounter with Jesus about five years ago when I moved into a single mom's home. And uh, it was literally night and day for me. My life before Jesus was very chaotic. Um, I don't remember a time where I had real peace and happiness and joy. I grew up in a very, you know, a very hard family. It was very harsh, and I just grew up very feeling forgotten and unseen. And um, I moved into this single mom's home, and these women prayed over me. Can't look at you. And there is someone here who is witness here that my dear friend Lauren and my sister who prayed over me and got to witness this transformation. Um, and um, so I have some notes. <laughs> um, so I knew soon after that I encountered Jesus and Jesus was Lord over my life and I had this awesome revelation. I knew I needed to find a church, a home, a place where I could call family. And I kind of church shopped and I went to different places and went to the mega churches, you know, the most well-known ones in the area. And I went to these places and I don't ever remember meeting anyone. Um, I feel like I was just kind of lost in a sea of people. And I remember just kind of feeling discouraged because I didn't have many people in my life and I know that I needed people that I could call family. So I did what I could and I came to Jesus, and I asked him, I said, okay, well, where do you want me to go, Lord? Where is it? And I kind of just told him what I needed in my life. And soon after that, um, Vessel, formerly known as ACF, came, and they um, served at the, um, the uh, single mom's home. And they fed us a meal, and he kind of, you know, Jake, you introduced who you were and where you met at Robertson Elementary. And I just kind of felt like, okay, you know, maybe that's where God wants me to go. And so I went there, and it was wonderful, and I loved it. And I was still in a place where I didn't know how to meet people, so I was, like, just about ran out the door after service. And I think Jake just chased after me and was like, hey, you know, thank you for coming and introduced himself and, you know, welcomed me. And then a couple weeks went by, and I didn't come back. And then one day I decided, okay, I'll come back. Um, I was running late. I had my two little girls in tow, and there was still a door greeter. And uh, I walk up, and I'm late and whatever, and I'm just like, oh, hi, you know. And she just looks at me, and I'd never met her before. And she said, oh, you're Marie. Welcome. We were so glad that you're here. And that was actually Melissa Godfrey. I don't see her. Oh, there she is. <laughs> I don't think I've ever told you, but that was such like a defining moment for me that I just, you made me feel seen. And that was such an example for me 
going forth of what it means to live this life. And um, so through this journey, looking back and all the things that I've witnessed and I've, what I've done or God has done through me, you know, I'm nobody. I'm just a willing vessel. And he has taken me on such a wild and crazy journey. It is the weirdest thing to be a Christian. <laughs> like, <Cool>. like, <laughs> but it's awesome. Like, God is just so awesome. He just puts you in places that are predestined. And, um, and, and it's just, you know, that encounter is just such a blessing. And so there's a, a few examples, a few stories that... I kind of thought about and wanted to talk about, and um, the first one that I have, <laughs> oh yes, I think it was the very first time that I actually really asked the Lord, and I was like, okay, I just dropped my kids off, I wanted to go have lunch, but I wanted it to mean something, I wanted it to be purposeful, so I was like, okay, where should I go eat, Lord, I'm like starving, where should I go, and I just keep hearing Schlotzky's, Schlotzky's. Schlotsky's. Your tummy like, or your heart? No, my stomach did not want Schlotsky's. I'm like, no, Lord, I don't want to go there. Like, not, and then I was like, nah, I'm not hearing from God. I'm just, you know, it's just in my head. It's just my little, you know, I don't want that. I'm not going there. And then I just kept hearing it over and over. And I was like, well, okay, well, I'll just drive that way and we'll see what's around because I don't really want Schlotsky's, but okay. So I, you know, drove to La Frontera and still, I just keep hearing that voice, go there, go there. And I was like, no, I do not want to go there. That is not where I want to go. And I just sat in the parking lot. And I just, you know, I think God just laughs at me because I have these really funny moments with him. And I just picture, like, he's just this dad. And he's just smiling and laughing down at his child. He's just so stubborn. And so I finally go in. And there's a few people in front of me. And... Um, I'm just, you know, I'm waiting in line, and then I look up at the cashier, and I just automatically knew for just for some reason he was why I went there, and I was like, okay, and I'm like, okay, well, why, Lord? Like, what is it? What do you want me to say? Like, I'm about, I'm next. Like, what am I supposed to say to him right there? And um, I didn't get a word yet, so I just ordered and, you know, whatever, and went about and sat down, but I was just, you know, watching him the whole time, and there was just something very special about him. And the way that even though he was a cashier at Schlotzky's, he looked at people like he was just seeing them, like they were the only person in that room, and he served them so well and explained things and just had so much joy. And I heard the Lord say, tell him that I love him. And I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. Like, I've never done this before. <laughs> I don't want to sound weird. And... Um, I was like, well, I'm not going up to the counter, so, Lord, you're going to have to, like, bring him this way because I'm across the room, and I'm not about to just, like, walk up there and be like, hey, you know, this is what God says. Bye, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so God brings him up. You know, he comes up to me. He noticed that I didn't really touch my food because I didn't want to eat a Schlotzky's. And, you know, he's like, oh, can I get you a box? And, you know, he recommended the dish, so he's probably like, oh, gosh, you know, can I get you something else? Like, did I, you know, give you a wrong recommendation. And um, I kind of just, you know, I finally mustered up the confidence and I was like, hey, I just wanted to let you know. I said, I don't know why, but the Lord, I don't know if you're a follower of Christ. And he said, yes, ma'am, I am. And I said, he just wanted me to come here and let you know that he loves you 
and that the way that you, I said, I've been watching you and I just want, I felt like he's saying the way that you see people, he also sees you. He sees you and his light shines on you and he just loves you so much. And his face just lit up so big. He had the biggest smile on his face. It was just like awesome. And we just got into conversation about who, you know, you know, we kind of introduced ourselves and talked a little. And um, I don't know why, but I just spat out, like, have you ever thought about being a pastor? And his face just, like, lit up even more. And he's like, my mama says that all the time. And, and I was like, okay, I was like, thank God, because I don't want to say something that, like, is not really from the Lord. You know, that's, like, my yeah. biggest fear is speaking to somebody and it not resonating with him. I'm like, oh, gosh, like. I'm really not even saying what the Lord wants me to say. But that's just, you know, one of many, many encounters that I've had. Um, another one that I want to speak about is uh, after going to a three-day worship conference that was outside. And it was totally free. It was in the Fort Worth area. Um, me and some girlfriends, you know, we were so filled with the Spirit that we wanted it to just continue on. We wanted, you know... God's presence to be just flowing through us. And so we prayed on the way home and we're just like, oh Lord, you know, bring us people that we can witness to, that we can share your love with. And, you know, we were, we're thinking like throughout the week, he'll bring somebody. And within the hour, you know, one of the girls needed to use the bathroom. So we stop at a McDonald's and um, she goes in and then she comes back and her face is just, she's very much in thought and she starts grabbing all of our snacks and putting it in a bag, and she's like, there's this man. He's, it's a homeless man, and he's sitting outside of McDonald's, but he has a Bible, and he's reading it, and it's all highlighted, every single word. Everything is highlighted and underlined, and, you know, and he's just, like, sitting there just greeting every single person that's coming in. And so we were just like, okay, well, you know, let's go pray with him. Let's go, you know, bless him. And so we go, and we talk to him, and his name was Matthew, and... He has had a family that he was trying to support, but he, you know, couldn't find work, and um, he wasn't necessarily homeless. They lived in a motel, but they didn't know how they were going to make rent for that day. And so, you know, I, we go and we gather up all the cash that we have, and, you know, we're like here, you know, and then he just starts ministering to us, and he's, you know, you know, spouting out scripture and how wonderful and loving God is and who he is, and you know, how humble this man is, you know, he, we're coming there to be like, were these Christians coming to be a blessing to him? But he even ministered to us, and it was cool, and it was amazing. Like, that was such a cool encounter that God did, and um, he prayed for a certain amount of money, and every, you know, amount of dollars that we had in cash was exactly what he needed. Wow. So it was yeah. pretty amazing. So it's amazing. Yeah. Amen. You know, one thing, Marie, I think is so cool, and if you guys know Marie or you don't, I encourage you to find an opportunity to, to really hear her story and her testimony of what the Lord brought her out of. And this is Family Worship Weekend, and it's, it's not the right weekend for that. And so, but I, I encourage you to ask her her story, and she will gladly and boldly share that with you of where God's brought her. But one thing that I think is so amazing, Marie, in you and in your testimony, what you shared is the way that as a child and before Christ, you felt not seen and how just one person seeing you and seeing you and remembering you, how impactful that is. 
and how we walk through our lives as witnesses, able and asking the Lord to see people for who they are, right? When G, when, uh, in, in Acts 4, when Peter and John are going to the temple gate called Beautiful, there's the, the lame beggar, and he's been there for years. He's sitting outside this gate, and he's like become a part of the gate. And Scripture says, it says that it didn't just say that they offered him in the name of Jesus Christ to stand up and walk, but it said first, it says Peter looked directly at him. And I think for you, and I think for, you know, I thank you for being here and for sharing that. And I know that there's so many things in your life that you felt like your voice doesn't matter and that what you have to share isn't important and that you are to be quiet and not be seen. And that is from the enemy. And just, I want to encourage you guys that to be a witness in our lives means to just see people for who they are, to look at someone and see them how Jesus sees them beautifully, wonderfully made, regardless of if they're homeless or if they're a, a, a guy at Schlotsky's or if it's your neighbor or if it's your children or if it's your spouse or if it's your boss or your coworker, to, to be seen matters. And, um, and, and that is a lot about being a witness. So I'm going to pray over Marie and I'm going to invite Joe up. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for Marie Aguilar. I thank you that she um, is my sister. Lord, I thank you that you brought her here to the vessel and ACF before. And God, what an important part of this body that she is and has become. I thank you, Lord, that we are seen and we're seen by you. That we, we walk through this world and we think of our importance and our value is determined by what the world says. God, but you say, your word says, you know every hair on our head. God, that you knit us together in our mother's womb. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for the voice that you've given Marie. I thank you for boldness. I pray that you challenge all of us to continue to be a witness for your kingdom and your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Awesome. Can y'all thank Marie? And the one only, Joseph Ho. Thank you so much, Marie. That was amazing. You know, um, I met Marie a couple years ago through some other stuff we were doing, but we actually, we, we knew her kids from, uh, from the Vessel Kids because our, our, uh, our family teaches that class. And I never told you this, um, but when you started coming over the course of that, that first year, we could see God's joy coming in, into Maddie's face because we would see her every, every month or so. And we would, we would talk about it on the way home, just seeing how her face was different month after month after month. And so what God was doing in your life before we, we even met, we were like, did you see her? Did you see how her face was different this week? And so then we met Haley the next year, you know, and, um, and Haley and Annabelle would hang out together and be buddies the year after that. But thank you for sharing. You know, what I'm just going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking back at Acts 1-8 where Jake started us. And I just want to continue to encourage us by telling stories. Um, I think Marie couldn't, couldn't do any better than that. But just stories of God, how people were witnesses for God. Um, Acts 1-8, if, as a reminder, um, Jake said this when he taught on this uh, four weeks ago. It's a promise, not a command. When, it, when, uh, when Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses, he doesn't tell them, you need to be my witnesses or you, need to go, you should go and be my witnesses. He just makes a promise and says, you will be my witnesses. There are other places where he gives commands and says he does command them to do things, but this is not one of them. This is one where it's just a promise, a prediction. You will be my witnesses. Um, and what I'm just going to do uh, this morning is just tell some stories. We're going to go through this verse and tell stories about how the disciples 
were witnesses, disciples then, and I'm going to tell some stories about disciples these days. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, um, we've been coming to this uh, church from the beginning, our family and I have been here, and uh, I've been a missionary on college campuses with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for the last 25 years, and so I'm going to be telling you some stories from people that are, from young people that are around 20 years old, um, and how God used them to be witnesses for the Lord. You will be my witnesses. Um, next slide. And this is sort of how we're going to follow it. We're going to look at what the promise is. And the promise says, you will be my witnesses in three basic places. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. We'll take those as one. You can take them as two. We'll take them as one. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Um, and so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask for some, like I like to do since this is family worship uh, Sunday, I'm going to actually ask for some help from uh, the kids to start with. Um, and then we'll jump into this. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we also thank you for the testimony of your children, your people like Marie, um, how you do things in our lives that we get to tell others about and that we are mutually encouraged. Um, so Lord, I know that each of us has a story, a story of struggle, a story of deliverance that we can tell each other. Um, and as I'm speaking today, we just ask that that would, that would just be what this morning is about, is us hearing each other's stories and being encouraged by how you predicted that we would be your witnesses, that your disciples and then we would be your witnesses, and how you brought that to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these different places. Now, Different places in our lives bring up different feelings, right? If you have a certain place, it might have a certain association. Um, and uh, so this, these are all our places, and, and I could show you a map, and we could teach a lesson about here's where Jerusalem is, here's where Judea and Samaria are, we could do that. But the, the lens I want to use today is to ask the question, what were the disciples feeling when they heard these places? Like when Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem? What did they feel? In Judea and Samaria... What did they feel when he said that? And to the ends of the earth. What did they feel? Um, and I, I'm going to need some help. So since we have our Vessel kids, uh, uh, school age kids with us, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Are you guys ready? I'm going to name a place. I'm going to name a place. And I want you to tell me what comes to mind. What kinds of feelings and what comes to mind when I say that place? You guys ready to help me? A few of you, maybe? Okay, so your grandmother's house. What do you think of when you think of your grandmother's house? But, what? Fort Worth. Okay, yes. What else comes to mind? Your grandmother's house. Okay, on. In Texas. Yes. Yes, Sarah. What? Eat popcorn. Right. Good, good. This is great. Someone over here? Where, where, where? You're pointing to someone. Oh, back there. Yes. Who's here? Yes, Zachary. Friend, home, and family. Great. Hold on, Cash. I'll ask, you, uh, I'll ask you in just a second. So the second place, math class. Okay, math class. Oh, I heard that. What do you, what, who, 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 what do you feel with math class? Right, right here. Place to learn? Oh, someone who likes math class. What about you, Annie? What? Math. Yes. Math and math class. Isaiah? What? You love math because we have so many people who like math class. That wasn't what I was going for. What about, what about you? Like, algebra. All right, Cash, your turn. 
So what did he say? The best. The best. Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> Despair. Okay, we got another one. Okay, I'll do one more. One more. We'll do one more. Okay, Claire wants us to say something in math. Complicated. Okay, well, we'll just stop with math class. I was going to do Slitterbond next, but you guys could uh, probably get that. So when you say a name of a place, feelings and thoughts come to mind depending on what, what you experience in that place. So we're going to just do this, and we're going to start with what the disciples felt. So we're going to start with Jerusalem. Now, um, Jerusalem uh, was where they were at the time. You know, when, uh, that, that's where they were. But Jerusalem was not where they were from. So this is an important thing to remember. Most or almost all of the disciples were country folk and Jerusalem was the big capital city. Um, so I'm going to ask for maybe some adult participation now. How many of you were sort of small town people when you were growing up, right? So you didn't live in some pl a place like Austin, right? Small town people, you know? And then the big city was sort of where you ended up as you got older, right? So it sounds like several of you are like that. So when I was uh, the big city, so some of you may have come from a small town, small town Texas, but then you had Houston, Dallas, right? Like even bigger cities in Austin, right? The big city. And that, that feels something. So what did you guys feel like? What, what was the association if someone said Houston, Dallas? Any of you? What? Traffic. Traffic. Good. Other things? Anxiety. Why? Yeah, lots of people. Other things? Crime. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, so, when, so they came from the country. Jerusalem was the big capital city, right? More people probably more crime or crime on the way to get there. It was also, and you guys probably, none of you said this, but often the association of the big city is fancy people. People with fancy cars and fancy houses who use fancy words and do fancy stuff and have fancy clothes. And they're, they're like, they're sort of like, you know, may, what, do I belong there? What do they think of me? Like, what are they? Are they just sort of too good? Do they think they're too good for me? That kind of thing that people think of the big city. And that's how they felt about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city where all the most religious people were, all the smart, educated people were, all the important people were around Jerusalem. Let me add one more thing. Got this uh, verse up here. Not only was it the big city, but this is a verse from earlier. We are going to Jerusalem, Jesus said. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So not only was it the big city where you could be scared that a bad thing would happen, a bad thing actually did happen. That they were, the closer they got to Jerusalem, the more scary it was. As a matter of fact, on Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem, when he said, I'm going that way, Thomas, one of his disciples said, well, let us go with him so we can die there. And, uh, and actually Jesus did die there. He went to Jerusalem and the bad thing did happen. Jesus had just been murdered, like illegally tried and murdered in this city that they were scared of. And it turns out that they had a good reason to be scared. So when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem, even though that was their capital city, that was the, that was the scary place. Jerusalem, the next slide, Jerusalem is a place that intimidates us. And when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, he's not just saying you'll be my witnesses in easy places, but he told them, you're going to be my witnesses. And the first place you're going to be a witness is the place that scares you the most, your own capital city where I was just killed. 
And lo and behold, that's what happened. They stick around in Jerusalem scared to death. They stick around in Jerusalem and they just huddle up in a room. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them. I'm going to tell these stories really quickly. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They become bold. They start preaching out in public. Thousands of people respond, start responding to them. So many people respond that the the authorities call them before the court to say, what are you guys doing? And remember, these are the the exact same people, like it names them, the exact same people who tried and murdered Jesus just about a month earlier. The exact same people call them before them and say, what are you guys doing there? And, uh, and they say, well, we're, we're testifying to Jesus. And they say, don't do that anymore. And they could have said, uh, yes, sir. They could have just said, uh, no comment. And they said, we must obey God rather than you. And surprisingly, they don't get killed. They let them go and they continue to preach. The in places that intimidate you, the places with the fancy, important people that have a lot of power over you. Um, we had a, a, one of the things that our students will sometimes do in InterVarsity was just pray. We'll pray like we do. We'll pray for other people. And sometimes we'll just go out on campus and pray for people. And there was a group of, uh, of students that was doing that uh, at a school when they actually weren't even a recognized student group yet. They weren't sort of, the, the university hadn't said, You're a, we bless you to be a group that's uh, a- active on campus. But we've been meeting. And they felt that God wanted them to go pray for the new university president. There was the president of the university. Now, if you want a place that intimidates you, think about if you're a college student, an undergraduate college student, think about the university president's office. Like you're scared of the professors, they intimidate you, but the president. So, uh, but they felt like they did that. So they made an appointment to meet with the university president. Surprisingly, they get the appointment. So they go into a bunch of these like young, like, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old students go into this university president's office. And he said, well, what can I do for you? And they said, well, we just wanted to see how you were doing and how we could pray for you. The University president starts crying. And he says, you know, I'm a new university president and everybody wants to meet with me. And everybody that wants to meet with me wants to tell me what they think I should do. <laughs> And that, because that's what happens when you're a new person that comes in, right? And you're the first people that came over and asked me how I was doing. Um, and they prayed for him. Even the places that intimidate you, Jerusalem. Second place we're going to look at is uh, Judea and Samaria. So I'm just going to focus on Samaria. If you think about a map, um, if he says Jerusalem, that's the capital city, then Judea was the country around it. And then Samaria was the country right, it was the the land right to the north. So it'd be like saying Austin and then Texas and Oklahoma, right? Can you picture that? Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. But the thing you have to know, we have to recognize is that Judea and Samaria had a rivalry that was much stronger than Texas and Oklahoma. So, so there is a Texas-Oklahoma thing, right? There's a Texas-Oklahoma rivalry. There's sports. Probably the states sort of look down on each other a little bit. like that kind of, But this was more intense than that. Um, the way I thought about this, picture this. Picture like Texas-Oklahoma, okay? Take out Oklahoma, switch in California, right? And... Um, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders are running against each other every year, right? So, <laughs> so then imagine that, imagine more that kind of thing between Judea and Samaria, 
So it's like they don't think the way we do. We're different from them. We don't trust them. They don't trust us. We look down on them. They look down on us. That's the kind of picture that you get with Judaism. There wasn't a war between them, but there was definitely a war of ideas and words and prejudices. So when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then he said Judea and Samaria, when he mentioned Samaria, they're thinking, oh, well, actually, let me give you a couple more verses to give you some background about Samaria. So this happened with Jesus and his disciples uh, a couple years earlier. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village, that's Jesus again, to get things ready for him. So he's walking through trying to visit. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. They were like, you can't stay here. We don't want you here. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked him, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? (laughs) But Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. So this is just a story of like how they, what they thought of Samaria, right? Second story, um, this one's less, not as funny, but this this is something that many of you are familiar with, the woman at the well. So the Samaritan woman, this is again, she's talking to Jesus. He's in Samaria. He meets a Samaritan woman. He says, uh, and she says to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So this is when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. Samaria is a place that doesn't like us. A place that doesn't like us. So he says, you you will be my witnesses, not just in places that intimidate you, but also in a place where people don't like you. You don't just get to be a witness to to people who like you, but to people who don't like you. Um, So InterVarsity currently, we're a ministry that's on almost 800 college campuses. And being on that number of campuses, there's always at least one campus that is kicking us off at any given time. Um, And almost always we're being kicked off campus or not recognized as as an official organization because we um, require that our student leaders sign that they're Christians every year. We actually ask them to sign something this, and we have uh, something that we ask them to sign. So, um, and because of that, we are often accused of of violating what they call a non-discrimination clause, which is that that every every organization needs to be open to to all students. And so they'll say, you're violating the non-discrimination clause because you require your leaders to be Christians, and so therefore you're not allowed to be officially recognized on campus. It's happening to us all the time. I'm sure there's a couple places right now. Um, A few years back, there's an entire state system uh, that uh, a, a state system where, which of a bunch of campuses, I think it was 11 or, or a dozen or so campuses that kicked us off altogether. The whole state system said, InterVarsity cannot operate in these campuses because they violate our non-discrimination clause. So they're people that don't like us. So the students are trying to figure out what are we going to do. So here's what's happening in the back, in the back room while, while this is happening. The, the university, many university uh, officials on the lower level and even many Christians told our students to say, you know what, just say that you follow their, their non-discrimination clause and just don't do it. Right? These are even the university officials. Just say that you do and don't do it. It's not that big of a deal. Even some Christians say, no one's going to check. Just say that. Just do what you do and just don't say it. And the students, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we won't bother you. And the students said, no, we're not going to do that um, because we think we should be allowed to do this and we belong here. Um, and, uh, and so we're not going to do that. Um, we, and so we actually initiated a lawsuit. We started to, so we initiated a lawsuit against the state. 
Um, and, uh, and then after that, we were called onto um, all these conservative talk show uh, uh, stations to try to like bait us into like s- slamming the university. So, they, were, so they, they would call us on and our PR person would go on these calls and, and they would say, they would sort of give him the softball and say, come on, why don't you slam these universities or slam these like uh, liberal diversity agendas? And we wouldn't do it. He would say, actually, we agree with their diversity agenda. We love diversity. We actually think that this is an anti-diversity policy that they have because we add to the diversity by being Christians and being allowed to be Christians on campus, and that's preserving diversity. We actually have no problem with what the university's trying to do. We just think they're interpreting it wrong, and we didn't get pulled in to the, here, why don't you sort of badmouth them? Um, at the end of this uh, lawsuit, we actually ended up settling and, and having a compromise that worked out. But the president of InterVarsity, had be- over the course of this lawsuit, this multi-years lawsuits, beco- becomes friends with the lawyer for the state that we're suing. Um, and so when, when our, pre- and our president actually a few years ago had to leave uh, as president because he got cancer unexpectedly. And you know, like when he got cancer and also when he uh, got a, a bone marrow donor, one of the first person he's, he called was this lawyer that we were suing that they become friends with. So Jesus says that you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses, not just in places that intimidate you, but even among people that don't like you. And lastly, uh, the ends of the earth. So this one's, uh, this one's easy, by the way. The ends of the earth, it, it means the same thing as to us. The ends of the earth, like everywhere. Places really far away. Um, did want to read one verse here. It says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Uh, Reed might have implied some of this a couple of weeks ago where he talked about Israel was meant to be a witness to the whole world, to all the other nations. And that's all through the Old Testament. There are verses like this that say, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then everybody all over is going to worship God. And when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, he was simply saying, and that's going to happen. You're going to get to be part of that. Um, so the disciples... Um, Let me tell you sort of how the disciples ended up being uh, witnesses to the ends of the earth. Um, This next one, uh, places we've never heard of. So the disciples actually becoming witnesses to the ends of the earth. You can read this through Acts. God uses them to become witnesses all over the place, sort of against their will. Right? So they didn't actually say, we're going to send people all over the world. Actually, God does things to push them out. Uh, place after place, time after time. They actually first went into Samaria because there was a persecution. A persecution came in, uh, to Jerusalem. They had, and then a bunch of people had to run away. And since they ran away, they started preaching the gospel. Um, Peter first preached, uh, preached the gospel to a non-Jew because God sent him a dream and then told him to go to this other place um, and, and preach the gospel to the non-Jew. And he had to have that dream sent him there. And actually none of the original disciples were the ones that took uh, the gospel uh, first, the, first out, of the, out of Palestine. It was actually Saul, one of the people that, that uh, persecuted the disciples. He, God brought him into faith and then he went out and shared the gospel. So what we see from, what we see from the disciples' uh, um, stories, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, even to the ends of the earth, it wasn't something they had to make happen. They didn't have to make it happen. God made it happen, sometimes even without them knowing it. So um, our, uh, one of the things that we do, like many ministries, is we send out uh, missions trips. Uh, we send students 
often in the summer onto mission trips. Kaylee's actually going to do one this summer locally to San Antonio. Um, we, we, uh, and we, one of the things we'll do is we'll send people on cultural exchanges to China. Now, most of these trips are cultural language exchange. We go over, we practice our language, learning Chinese. They practice, practice English. We, we learn about each other's cultures. And, and over that course, we talk about Jesus. Well, we had a special one that was an arts exchange where we sent um, musical performers from a musical conservatory to a musical conservatory in China. Um, now, the thing about this is it wasn't a language exchange. So none of our people spoke Chinese. None of those people were fluent in English in, in, uh, in, in the, uh, the Chinese university. They were just artists, right? So our musical performers, they said, um, how are we going to share the gospel? We can't speak the language. Even on top of that, the understanding, and this is true for many countries, is you're actually not allowed to bring it up. So you cannot bring up the gospel. So even if they could, they didn't, they didn't know how to speak the language and they weren't allowed to. So our leaders just told them, you just have to put your passion for Jesus into your performance because they just perform for each other. Put your passion for Jesus into the performance. Right, so what the students were thinking was, sure, I'll put my passion for Jesus into my performance. But how will, they t- how will they be able to tell when I'm playing that I'm motivated by my passion for Jesus as opposed to my passion for Mozart or my passion for ice cream for that matter? Like, how will they know? Um, but they just did it. They played, and when they played for each other, the, the Chinese conservatory students played, the American conservatory people uh, uh, played, and, and our students put our passion for Jesus into the performance. Later on, they, they started dialoguing with each other through a translator, and, um, you know, and, and, and you could just ask each other questions. And the Chinese conservatory students raised their hands and said, could someone tell me about Jesus? The translator was sitting there like, well, I guess I got to translate the question, right? To translate the question. And since we were asked, you know, I guess we had to answer the question, right? You will be my witnesses. Not you have to be my witnesses, but you know, you're, you're just going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, that intimidates you. In Samaria, where the people don't like you. And even to the ends of the earth, places you've never heard of, where you can't speak the language, where you don't know them. So I just wanted to encourage us with these stories because this is the experience that we get to have. And not just the experience that we get to have because we have to personally do all of those things. Like we get to be part of it when we're a body. Um, We get to be part of Stuart and Mary Lou. We get to be part of what uh, what they're doing. We get to be uh, be part of what Hannah Lee Delulo is doing. We get to be part of when each of you, when we encourage each other and hear stories about what we, uh, each of us are doing in our spheres of influence. You know that when when Marie is sharing, uh, uh, she's sharing the gospel with somebody in Schlotsky's we're part of that, right? We're part of that because we know and, and care for her and her family. You know that when Stephen is building relationships with people on his route, we're part of that, right? We're all, you're all part of that. When I'm doing my work and we're sharing the gospel on college and campuses across the world, you are all part of that. Um, you get to be, we get to together as a collective be a witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm gonna close with just one last story about how, how this all happens. Um, And I'm just going to draw attention to one last phrase. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, this could be like the the introduction to a whole other series. We don't have time to teach on the Holy Spirit. Mike and Missy could do a great job. They've been doing that in their uh, small group lately. Uh, But uh, the Holy Spirit, if you know Jesus, you have the Spirit of Jesus living in you. And the Spirit of Jesus will move you places. 
against your will and according to your will sometimes. And in, like as Marie gave a great example of, you'll be prompted to do things sometimes. And if you follow that prompting, you will find that God, that's, that's how it happens. Not by you trying to make it work or feeling guilty or getting on this aggressive campaign, but by listening to the Holy Spirit. When I was a college student, um, I, uh, it, was, uh, it was 1991 and the first Gulf War had just broken out. And as often happens on college campuses, a protest emerged. Now, some people were probably genuinely protesting the war. Some people were probably just looking for something to protest. Um, so some of the Christians called each other on the phone and said, let's get up together and we're going to go and pray. We're going to pray next to the protest. So there's a group of me and my you know, fellow 20-year-olds. We're sitting there praying praying next to the protest. And I have this strong urge to say, no, I don't want to pray off to the side. I think we should pray right in the middle. And so I said, um, I told them that. I told the group that. So one of the wiser upperclassmen said, no, we're not going to do that. And I said, by the way, don't do this. But I said, well, I'm going to pray over there. I just left the group and started walking over. Um, and uh, which is unlike me and not something I recommend. But the upperclassman was like, man, like, punk. And he just sort of all, we just all went over. They just followed grudgingly. We circled up right in the middle of the protest. You know, so we circle and we're praying. And when we're done, we look around and then there's this other person that's joined us. Turns out this, this other person, she was a student also at the school. She went on a study abroad trip. Somehow through that study abroad trip, she meets Jesus, becomes a Christian, comes back to campus, but doesn't know like, well, what do Christians do on this campus? Like, I don't even know who, where anybody is. Well, she you know, because of the big crowd of the protest, she comes to the crowd, crowd that's gathered with the protest, sees us praying, and she comes over and joins us, and she was part of the fellowship from then on. See, the Holy Spirit, I thought, I was like, I'm being bold for the gospel. The Holy Spirit was just like, she can't see you there. You gotta move over that way. Um, and, and, and to this day, that's what I believe that, that God did, that the Holy Spirit was like, you know, Joe, she, she can't see you around the corner. She needs you to move like 30 feet that way. And uh, he moved us over there and God will do those kinds of things. So I'd just like to encourage us this week. Jake is going to close us out next week by giving us exhortations about how we can apply this. But today I just want to give you the promise. The promise to each of you who knows Jesus. You will be, you will be his witnesses. In Jerusalem, places that intimidate you, in Judea and Samaria, places where people like you and where they don't like you. And directly or indirectly, even to the ends of the earth. Lord God, we thank you for your promise. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is bigger than our efforts. It's bigger than our, uh, um, our ambitions. That even whether we have an ambition to share you like some of us do, or whether we are often really scared to put ourselves out there as I often am. Uh, that regardless of where we are, we have your promise, we have a confidence that you will, through your Holy Spirit, move us and prompt us to be your witnesses even to the ends of the earth. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.